group, various people matter. But the Lord just really put it on my heart to share this morning that who God is matters. Jesus was asked a question, and he was asked, what is the most important commandment? And in Mark 12, 29, Jesus replied, this is the most important Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is as great as these. Who is this God that we are commanded to love with all of our hearts, our souls, our mind, our strength? Can he be trusted? Is he safe? Will he hurt me? Does he even care about me? Those might seem like ridiculous those might seem like ridiculous questions to you, but to the majority of the people who are living on this planet, those are very real concerns. Let's take a quick look at what the what the word says about God. First of all, God is love. 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Well, what is love? Paul tells us in, in Corinthians that love is patient, it's kind, it rejoices in truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and it endures all things. It never fails. What it is not, it is not envious, it is not boastful. It's not proud, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it's not revengeful, nor does it take pleasure in evil. Second, God is light. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is generous. Romans 8, 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? God is unchanging, Malachi 3.6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. God is faithful, Deuteronomy 7.9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations to those who love him and keep his commandments. God is patient, 2 Peter 3.9. The, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Creative, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Romans 1.20 says that for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen and being understood from his workmanship so that men are without excuse. I don't know if any of you have been paying attention to the morning sky these last couple of weeks, but my goodness, the, the, that last week in October, the sunrises every single day just blew me away. And I thought, just when I thought they couldn't get any better, they'd get better. Absolutely amazing. You know, I'm blown away by atheists. Because these people 
have more faith than you can even imagine. How can you look at your, the creation around us? How can you look at all of the intricacies and the complexities of everything that we see around us and possibly believe that it just happened? They blow us away in their faith. God is holy, Isaiah 6.3. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is spirit, John 4.24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God is eternal, Psalms 92. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth, the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Merciful. Romans 9, 15 through 16. I will have mercy and on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or on the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. I looked up mercy. Mercy means to be disposed to pity offenders and to forgive their offenses, unwilling to punish for injuries. God is compassionate, Psalms 103:13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. I looked up compassion. A suffering with another, painful sympathy, a sensation of sorrow excited by the distress or misfortune of another, pity, commiseration. God is infinite and without origin, Colossians 1, verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God is self-sufficient, Acts 17, 24 through 25. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives life and breath and everything else. God is all-powerful, Psalms 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. God is all-knowing, Isaiah 46, 9. And 10, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. God is all present, Psalms 139, 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will take hold of me. God is wisdom. Romans 11:33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. God is good. Psalms 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. God is the rock, and he's just. The rock, Deuteronomy 32, 4. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. I would have to say that Dwayne Johnson copied this 
title from God because Dwayne Johnson is not the rock. God is the rock. God is gracious. Psalms 145.8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. I looked up gracious. It's the free, unmerited love and favor of God, the spring and source of all the belief, all the benefits we receive from him. Glorious, Habakkuk 3.4. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand, and there is the hiding of his power. God is true. John 33, John 3, 33. Who has received his test, he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. God is worthy, Revelations 5, 12. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. God is great. Psalms 145.3, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Do you realize that? You can't exaggerate or overstate the greatness of God. You couldn't, you couldn't do it if you tried. It is, it is impossible for you to exaggerate or overstate the greatness of God. It is absolutely impossible. And the reason is, is because you can't even, you can't even, your mind isn't even capable of comprehending God's greatness. Hallelujah. Yeah. God is Father. Luke eleven two. 2. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know what kind of a father you grew up with. Unfortunately, in this fallen world in, in which we live, not everyone has a good experience with their father. But I can tell you that God is a far better father than you can ever imagine. He is your heavenly father, and he will never disappoint. He is far better than you can even imagine or even dream. I was just amazed at just how the worship songs this morning just complimented and just was a, a prelude to, to what God had laid on my heart. Praise God, you are so good. Whether we know it or not, we are at war. We have a very real enemy that loves to exploit our weaknesses, and he does not fight fair. In a, in a game of football, if one team happens to get their hands on the other team's playbook, that team is definitely going to have an unfair advantage over them. I believe that we can do ourselves a favor by not only learning how to recognize the enemy's devices and schemes, but to also anticipate his next move. For uh, the main text this morning, I want to look at Genesis chapter 3. This is the account where the serpent comes to Eve in the garden. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman answered the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, 
But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God has said, you must not eat of it or touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent told her, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I believe that the number one offensive tactic of our enemy is to assault God's character and his motives. Notice here the very first thing he does. He sets the tone with four words. Did God really say? Any conversation that starts this way isn't going to end well for the subject. Did, did your mom really say? Did, did Susie really say? Did Trump really tweet? You know, see what I'm saying? You can see how this goes. I think we can substitute, um, are you kidding me? For the words, did God really say? This isn't the only MO uh, where we see this being played out. If we jump to Matthew 4, Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness. And he, as you know, he's, he's just come off a 40-day fast. I don't know how many of you have fasted in the past. Um, one time, I was actually before the election, I was listening to Lou Engel and I was trying to participate in one of their fasts. And um, I was able to fast for about four weeks. The first two days, two or three days are very difficult. And then you hit kind of a sweet spot for about up to three weeks maybe where you, you're okay. It's, it's really not that hard. But then for me, in that fourth week, all of a sudden, I started dreaming about food. Every night I would wake up and I'm dreaming about food. It was terrible. <laughs> so Jesus is just coming off 40 days of fasting and this is a water fast. Or maybe he wasn't even fasting water, I don't know. I mean, drinking water. But he was, he'd fasted for 40 days. So in, in chapter, Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, it says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Interesting. If we look to the second thing that's, that the tempter comes to Jesus with in verse 6, he says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. So both of these questions Satan throws at Jesus, he's questioning whether or not Jesus is the Son of God. Hmm. I see something interesting here between the account in Genesis and the account in Matthew. Even though that they take place 4,000 years apart, these are the only two recorded conversations that I know of in Scripture. Now, if I'm wrong, come and tell me afterwards. But they're the only two recorded conversations between Satan and men or man. And you might say, well, Jesus is, the, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. He's also the Son of Man. And Roman, in Romans, Paul also called him the man Jesus Christ. So, but these are the only two conversations, I believe, that we have recorded for us. The other th thing I find interesting is the conversations take place, first of all, with the first Adam in Genesis, and then with the last Adam, which... Paul calls Jesus the last Adam. 
Notice the similarity here. If you are the son of God, did God really say? If you are the son of God, did God really say? What's he doing? He's setting the tone by planting seeds of doubt. What has the enemy been whispering in our ears? If God really loved you, he wouldn't have. Did you actually think you deserved to be healed or to have your prayers answered? Does God even hear you? God can't forgive you. Maybe the seed of doubt came in the form of a doctor's report. Maybe the doctor came back and said that what you have is terminal. Maybe it came from family members, from friends, or from fake news. Second thing he does, let's go back to Genesis 3. He lies about what God actually said by making a false implication. A false implication. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Newsflash, Satan knew exactly what God had said. Let's just state the obvious here, that if we don't know what God says about our salvation, our identity in Christ, our healing, our finances, our purpose, or our relationship with him, we're easy pickings. I'm sure Satan's head knowledge of the word is better than ours, and he will twist it and misapply it and take it out of context. And I think we should give Eve credit here because she knew exactly what God had said. The third thing he does is he falsely accuses God of lying by lying. He says, you will not surely die. This is an out-and-out, bold-faced lie. He makes himself sound like he has authority. And think about the implications of this. If God is a liar, he can't be trusted. If I can't trust God, then I probably need to take care of myself. I may actually need to protect myself from God. If God's lying, the devil must be telling the truth. Not only did they spiritually die instantly, but the process of physical death was set in motion. John 8:44. He was a murderer from the beginning, refusing to uphold the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, because he is a liar and the father of lies. What language does he speak? He speaks lie. Doesn't matter what your language is, what language you speak, he speaks lie. That's the only thing that comes out of him, lies. Let's jump back to Matthew chapter 4 and look at the third uh, time that Satan confronts Jesus. Matthew 4 chapter 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in their glory. All this I will give you, he said, if you will fall down and worship me. I want you to stop and think for a second here. Do we really think that Satan would have kept his part of the bargain if Jesus 
would have bowed and worshipped? Of course not. How do we know? His lips were moving. Satan is a liar. If he says anything, it's a lie. The fourth thing he does is he, he falsely implies knowledge of God's thoughts and his motives. If we go back to Genesis 3, verse 5, for God knows, now this should be a, a warning to us, for God knows, Romans 11.34 says, Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? There is no way that Satan knows what God is thinking or what his motives are. I want you to notice in this last section how he blends truth with lies. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So, there was some truth there. The truth was, your eyes will be opened, and you will know good from evil. The lie, you will be like God. They not only did not become like God, but in, in many ways they became diametrically opposed to God and were, and were separated from God. The implication here is that God doesn't really love you, that he is a selfish God who is withholding good from you, that he potentially could have a jealous streak and doesn't want any competition. So what's the result of all this? Well, in verse 6, I don't believe I have a slide for this, but in verse 6 it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes, Number one, a desire was stirred up that had never existed before. You know, do you realize that Adam and Eve had probably walked by these trees every day that they had been in the garden because these trees were located in the very center of the garden. Up until this point, she'd probably never even given the trees a second glance. Second thing that happened was Eve's focus had shifted from God to the tree. It says that she saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes. And the third, third thing that happened, a conflict between God and Eve was fabricated. And of course, Satan took Eve's side in this fictitious conflict. Just imagine if there had been fake news in the garden. The top stories might have been God says no free lunch. God involved in cover-up plot. Or maybe fountain of youth found. Or God is a racist. So how effective was this tactic in the garden against Adam and Eve? Just imagine. Adam and Eve, they're completely innocent. Their consciences are cleared. They aren't dealing with guilt. They walk in the manifest presence of God on a daily basis. Daily. They have, they have conversations with God like you have with one another. You know, 
Maybe their conversations, some of their conversations revolved around the project that God had given Adam to name all of the animals. Maybe Adam would bring, you know, he'd bring God up to an animal and say, God, what do you think about hippopotamus? Or maybe it was, they were asking questions about creation, like, how come birds can fly and we can't? Or how do worms breathe underground? Imagine having that kind of daily fellowship with God and still being fooled. It was very effective. That's why we spent the first few minutes here looking at the amazing and incredible character and nature of God. If we are not firmly established in who God is and what his character is like, we don't stand a chance against the attacks of the enemy. We have got to know him both from his word and experientially. Bill Johnson wrote a book called God is Good. He's better than you think, and that is so true. I believe that to the degree that we come to know God, to that degree we will experience victory and his manifest power in our life. I'll say that again. I believe that to the degree that we come to know God, to that degree we will experience victory and his manifest power in our lives. 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. How? Through our knowledge of him. So does Satan still use these tactics today? How many times have you or I, or do we know of someone who has experienced a personal tragedy only to become angry with and accuse God? I mean, I can't even, I can't even count the number of times that, that I've allowed myself to blame God for some of the things that I experience in life. You know, a spouse may die, and someone may well-meaning will come along and say, God must have needed them in heaven. Is that true? I mean, I thought we just read a few minutes ago that God doesn't need anything. Why is it that people blame God? It's because we believe the lie that God's at fault. It's his fault. A child is born with Down syndrome. Someone may come along and say, well, God knew that you could be trusted with this special one. Psalms 139.13 says, For you formed my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and I know this very well. I believe the one reason that we are so quick to embrace the enemy's lies is that these lies are often crafted to absolve us of personal responsibility. The lies are, de the lies are designed to help us mold our theology, our theology around our life's experiences rather than around the standard of God's word and his eternal character. I just read a Barna survey that was conducted last month. 
that of those who identify as Christians in the United States, the majority do not even believe in the Holy Spirit, the majority do not believe in the Holy Spirit or even in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why is that? It's not because it's not biblical, but it's because this doctrine does not line up with their life's experience. Here's another lie. Everything that happens must be God's will, or or it would not have happened. After all, God's in control. Well, 1 Timothy 2 says, 2, 3 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So it's God's desire that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So then I guess the question is, are all men going to be saved? No. And yet it's God's will that all men be saved. Another question for you. Have you ever disobeyed when you knew what God was telling you to do something? I mean, it could have been that you were, you were tired or it was inconvenient or maybe you were afraid that you were going to be rejected. If you've ever disobeyed when you knew that God was asking you or telling you to do something, raise your hand. That's all of us. If God doesn't even control a Christian, how does he control everything that happens in the world? It is no wonder that people are running from God if they actually think that, he was, that it was ultimately his will for the coronavirus to be developed and unleashed on the world by the Chinese Communist Party. There are a lot of Christians out there who believe that if it happens, it must be God's will, either by God directly causing it or allowing it. That same Barna study said that only 6% of those identifying as Christians have a recognizable Christian worldview. Did you hear that? 6%. So there's, I think they were saying that there's 175 million people who claim to be Christians in the United States, and only 6% of those people have a worldview that could be classified as Christian. How in the United States is this even possible? Well, one reason is because we've been listening to the lies about God, about who he really is and what he's like. Just like Eve, we've allowed our view of God to be distorted. It's absolutely vital that we become skilled at identifying the source of our thoughts. Do our thoughts line up with the Word of God? Do our thoughts promote love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Or do they bring confusion, condemnation, jealousy, envy, hatred, revenge, pride, prejudice, and greed? I read that bank tellers learn to identify counterfeit bills by handling the real thing. We we don't need to focus and become skilled in identifying the enemy or the voice of the enemy by studying the enemy, but by focusing on God and the truth of his word. We are in the middle of a battle for the soul of this nation, and it's not Republican and it's not Democrat. It's a spiritual one. On the right, there is God, 
Romans 8.32, For he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? John 10.10b, I have come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. On the left is the enemy of our souls, John 10.10a, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. John 8, 44b, he was a murderer from the beginning, refusing to uphold the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and the father of lies. How is it that nations are brought down, families are broken, lives are destroyed, by lies? But a lie has no power unless you believe it. We can shut up the power of the enemy when we stand for truth against the lies. Thanks be to God, he has not left us to fend for ourselves. John 16, 13. However, when the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own, but he will speak what he hears, and he will declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me by taking from what is mine and disclosing it to you. Paul gives us a clue in Timothy as to the secret of his rock-solid, immovable faith. 2 Timothy 1.12, For this reason, even though I suffer as I do, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Notice those words. I know and I am convinced. Neither his circumstances nor the conditions around him were of any consequence. His faith rested completely on the character and the nature of his God. We would do well to imitate Paul's example, to know and to be convinced. Again, 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God reveals himself to us by his word, by his creation, and by his spirit. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Scott. Thank you, thank you. Sarah, I'll have you come up this way. Now, that was a buffet of the word. Yes. Yes. We used to call it smorgasbord. <laughs> and I'm so glad that we're getting it. It's taped and videoed so that we can go back and... Yes. When you get something good that tastes really good, you want to go back for more, you know? And that's one that that uh, is worth watching again and hearing again until we get built up in the Word. It is so right, so true. 
I just say a big amen. Let's all say that. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> and it just, yeah, you know, I've noticed that so often too with when I have a message and I haven't, I know who the worship leader is going to be, but I didn't tell them the subject necessarily. Most of the time I don't. Sometimes I do, but, but so often they're lined right up. And another thing you find out is the, the ladies' prayer group that meets before the service, well, it's men too, um, over in this room to your left. So often they'll tell me, what unfolded in the service just flowed, we just prayed it out in the meeting before, and it's the Holy Spirit. He brings anointings. He brings, he brings it to us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And we receive that word. We just would receive it and act upon it, be doers of it. Thank you, Lord, that that is, this is how we are victors in the midst of deception. It's by knowing you and your word. Hallelujah. So, Sarah, I'm going to have you share that announcement you have first. Okay, tickets go on sale today for History in the Baking. Um, those performances are December 11 and 12, Saturday and Sunday at 2 o'clock. This is an original Christmas mystery full of laughter and surprises. Tickets are $5 each, and this will help cover the cost of some special surprises. Um, and everybody that comes um, in the audience will be, be getting their own special surprise. The cost will also help pay for some new mics for the drama department. There is limited seating, um, so if you do get tickets and then plans change or someone you know who has tickets can't come, if you could please let me know, then we'll have that seat available for someone else. Those special surprises are really time consuming, so we'd really like um, every ticket to have a person in that seat to get that special surprise. So um, there's some opportunities to help, um, especially with baking. The title is History in the Baking, and um, there'll be different opportunities for those of you that like to bake. Um, I'm going to have my mom share a little story that she told me. She's going to be baking some cookies um, the idea is if, if there's a special memory you have, baking a special cookie with your grandma or your mom, um, and maybe there's even a little story behind it, if you'd be willing to bake those special cookies for this play, um, you can talk to me or Carla Mandrell. I don't think she's here today, but... But I'm going to let my mom just quick share her little story about my great-grandma. Yes. So this is something that I shared with Joy and Elsie on the way to uh, work at our Red Umbrella thrift store sale on 
Thursday, I think it was. Um, we've been hearing so much about, well, like the intermission, that's when we will need there, yeah, cookies. There will also be co yep, yep. cookies for the Yay, we get coffee and cookies. But all of a sudden, I was sitting by my little quiet time spot, and I thought, ah, oh, I wonder if I have a special recipe in my recipe box, which women, I don't look in very often. <laughs> I'm not a real baker, really, I don't know. Joy is. But um, I, went, I found my little box, and sure enough, under cookies, I found a handwritten recipe by my Anna, my grandmother, Anna Eckhoff Rosebaum, Dutch Anna's cookies. And I heard someone say Anise cookies. And uh, she was born, I think, 1892, went to heaven in 1992. She was just months of 100. She loved to bake. She was good at it. Whenever we went to her house, her little tiny house, she'd have coffee or tea in the morning or afternoon. You had to eat a piece of either her homemade cake, her homemade cookies, or homemade bars. She didn't care if you said you were on a diet and need to lose weight. Not that day. <laughs> so anyway, it was a treasure to me. I have it setting out. I have my... Anna's extract sitting out, and I plan to bake a couple of dozen of those special cookies, but I even said to Sarah, well, maybe the special recipes somehow could be featured. So anyway, we invite you gals, you know what, even if you don't like to bake, maybe you can practice <laughs> <laughs> on an old recipe or a favorite one. So that just gives you an idea of what we're looking for for the intermission. Um, you can al also help by just spreading the word. Um, the ticket sales will be straight back in the foyer and that's where we'll have posters and flyers if you want those. Um, I think that's it. Okay, so you'll be in the foyer now then. All right, okay for that. I was just thinking of something. I don't think we have it in our announcements. Did you guys have a mic back there? I was, what, for people that would just want to hear the audio, like of the messages, and we have archives of those. What is the, where do they go to for that? Soundcloud.com. Forward slash 10 strike. Soundcloud.com forward slash tinstrike. Yeah, and so that that's on there, you know. If you travel between work and home or whatever, you know you can listen to that. For our giving, we have boxes in the back on the wall for our ties and offerings. You could still give yet this Sunday for Carol Schlimmer, too, by the way. This will be the last, probably the last Sunday for that. Um, someone still had an offering, so we're going to do that yet today. Then we'll send that off to her. And um, I believe that's... We'll have snacks following the service today, coffee and snacks. And... Uh, 
We just cover all the deer hunters in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your safety. Gus came in with a nice, a big smile on his face this morning because he had shot up a big buck this morning. So we know what he'll be working on later. But uh, God bless you all and keep you all. And he's walking with you. And keep meditating on that word that we just heard, okay? Listen again to it. Praise God. Just get, or get into the word yourself and stuff. So we'll talk to you later. If someone needs prayer or would like prayer, good to see the Sharon's back again. Hallelujah. In fact, why don't you come up here, Adam, or I'd like to talk to you.